Welcome to Sin 315. We're here to encourage and equip Christians to engage in the adventure of sharing Jesus with those that God puts into their life. And we're so glad you're here. It's been a while since I heard that jingle, Matt, and I just saw our guest start to dance. Yeah. That really is <laughs> a catchy jingle. It's, it's, a little, it's a jingle. I checked out the Grammys, and we didn't get nominated. No, again. no. Charlie Sheen again. <laughs> <laughs> For jingles? Nope. Isn't, isn't that what he does in that one show? The, he's a jingle writer or something? I don't know. I don't know either. I'm lost completely. Two and a half men. That he's a oh, jingle writer, is? right? Okay. Yeah, 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 actually, I know that right. show. Yeah, I did skip that show. I didn't see it. It's been around so long. Like, yeah. I am ashamed that I know that. <laughs> Some of my favorite shows are, number one, MASH. Oh, I never watched an original episode of no MASH. No way. And then I binge oh, okay. it because it was okay. so good. Dude, we've had a lot going on, haven't we, man? Oh, man. One thing after another. Back to the basics. I think that was valuable. As you and I talked about, the listenership of Cent 315 has doubled in the last 12 months. Yeah. So going back to the beginning and getting people to understand the foundation. Like what, what we're about. about yeah. yeah. So that they can binge like mash. Yeah. <laughs> they can get into it. And then your daughter's brother went and joined the Navy. Yeah. Yeah. She sure did. He <laughs> <Yeah>. sure did. <laughs> I took the long route because yeah, Brittany's episode is really popular. It is really good. Yeah, yeah. We've been sending that one out. I don't know. Phyllis. This is Phyllis Bulky Long. One Welcome. of my very close friends, mm. a, a woman that I, I love and admire. Did you get to hear Brittany's uh, episode? I she was the so. math doctor. She's got her PhD in applied mathematics. Advanced right? applied mathematics. Yes, advanced. Come yes, on. I did. You know? I did hear that. That's one. my baby girl. I did. It okay. was crazy. She put all of this math yeah, stuff in <laughs> that applied to spiritual concepts. Yeah. It was yeah. so cool. Yeah. I yeah. loved it. No, I did. That was more recent. I don't think we got Kyle on yet. Not yet. But that would be fun. Yeah. And he's, where is he right now? Where's Kyle Hall? Kyle is in Great Lakes, Chicago. He's currently doing A school. So he's learning electronics and a bunch of cool military stuff. And he's really enjoying it. Yeah, right. And yeah, he's just, he's thriving. I'm so blessed and, and happy for him. And what about your kids, Phyllis? How are they doing? They're doing great. I yeah. just got back from Texas, getting yeah. to celebrate my three-year-old grandson's birthday. Nice. <laughs> the youngest of the six. Wow. Wow. Yeah. I can't wait to have grandkids. Yeah. No, they're they're uh, a circus. <laughs> you frolic with them. Yeah. That's when you send them home, right? You get them all fired up and you send them home? Yep. Where they move away. Oh, man. And you got to go find them. I'm going up to Reading next month. My daughter, Bree. Shout out to Bree. Hi, Bree. And she's got five kids. And they're high-energy kids. And so Grandpa's going to go up and be a nine-year-old boy for a week. It's going to be way fun. Take your B vitamins, right? Yes, all of them. Yeah, trying to keep up. That's the only reason I do crazy exercise kind of stuff is to keep up with them because it's nuts. Yes, it is. Well, Phyllis, we've tried to get together a few times, put our s schedules together. Can you tell everybody a little bit about what you do, your counseling that you do? I'm not breaking any Hippocratic in saying that you've helped Sylvia and I out. It's a privilege. It's a privilege that I get to do what I do and that people trust me that way. So thank you. Nobody comes into my office that I don't just feel so privileged that they trust me and share things that they would be afraid to say anywhere else. Yeah. And uh, it goes with some of the things we talked about earlier about that cognitive dissonance. They're putting it out in the light gives you room for some of those changes. Absolutely. So. So you asked what I do, and I 
you could probably tell, I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist. And I come by that honestly, because there have been years in my life that I've needed to be helped. And I just created such a passion in me in the church. I saw so much happening with mental health and challenges and people not wanting to talk about it and feeling so much shame that I began to get involved with support groups that helped me and had such a desire to lead other people, women specifically, through some of the challenges that they were experiencing. And as we would meet together, they would say, I've never told anyone this, or I've never spoken about it. There's just a, I call it the walking wounded. We see a lot of that in our Christian community because we want to do the right things. We want to live the right way. We want life to go well. We love Jesus, and yet things happen. Yeah, I decided that I needed to learn more about how I could do that as a living, but really it was a ministry oh, for sure. that I started. And so I went back to school after 25 years in early childhood development, really as people development. And honestly, as adults, we're children going through development yeah. still. We carry a lot of our childhood development into our adult lives. And that I transitioned into going back to school in my 40s to get a degree in human development. Okay. And from there, I went on and thought, I think I need to transition careers. And I think I need to help adults. And I think I need to help women. How do I do that as a Christian? And I thought, maybe I need to get a master's in divinity. What do I get? And I started exploring. And at that time, Bethel Seminary had just started an MFT program. So I went back to school and said, okay, I'm going to do this. I worked full-time still, and I was a single mom of an adult, uh, just turning adult child, my youngest. And so I went back to school, and uh, just gradually, God just ordered my steps into the idea of I needed to start a counseling center for women, thinking of it being a safe place for women, a women's ministry, not in a church. Yeah. Okay, so that that started what was formerly New Day Women's Center. And it's broadened a lot because it's not just women and it's not just Christians, mm-hmm. but specifically because most of the people that are listening are Christians or who are struggling to some degree with sharing their faith. And that's why I wanted to talk to you about that cognitive dissonance. But before we do, do you find that there are a lot of Christians who don't go to counseling because there's some sort of stigma. Like, I'm saved. All I have to do is pray. You know, everything's supposed to be groovy. And so they stuff things down that are actual self-sabotaging things. And they don't know why they ended up in the same place with the same problems. But they just don't go to counseling because they think there's something wrong with them if they do that. Do you find that? Because I I see that from the outside. What about on your side of that? Absolutely. It's one of my passions is that we destigmatize mental health in our Christian communities. It's such an important fact. We did a conference for women's leaders from around San Diego County to invite them to come and learn about how to support women in their church. I see when people come in, they don't even like to call it counseling. So what do they call it? I need to talk to someone. There we go. Okay. Okay. I I, I think I just need some advice or some coaching or some mentoring. Some of these terminologies that are uh, more acceptable in the Christian community. Sure. Some discipleship. We like those words. 
Yeah. But we're really talking about we need that counsel. And the word talks about counsel. A lot. A lot. We need it. And we don't have communities like we used to. People don't hang out with their neighbors who might be going to the same church and doing life together. So there's not as much of that, but they're in the church where we're feeling like, boy, they've got it together. I've got to have it together. Right. I can't tell them what's going on at my house. I yell at my kids. I don't want them to know I yell at my kids. If anybody knew what a bad mom I was, what a bad wife I am, what a bad marriage I'm in, or what I, how I cope and the things that I choose. And the reality is we all challenge that way. We all have pain of some kind that we bring into our adult life. And we all have ways that as children we chose to cope with that pain. And as adults, we don't even know that we're doing that. That's that dissonance you're talking about. No, it's, uh, I've, I've got a buddy who's been through a lot, a lot. And uh, he just um, really got compelled recently, probably the last 30 days. He's a Christian. There's some things physically, emotionally, spiritually that he needs to get back on track. So we had a conversation about going and talking with somebody who has a gift and somebody's anointed. It's just the body of Christ doing what we're called and equipped to do. Everybody's got their thing. I'm really good at unskilled labor. If you need me to vacuum or pick up some <laughs> dirty dishes, oh, I'm like really good at that. Ask Sylvia, I'm really good at that. But when I talked to him about talking to somebody who has that gifting and anointing, he was saying, uh, I'm just not ready yet. And I thought back to my 35 years in the fitness industry, people waiting to get in shape so they could go to the gym. Right. That's exactly that in my head. No, what you need to do is the enemy's trying to get you and yes. keep you in bondage and keep yes. you away from the freedom that God made you for. Yeah. So okay. if somebody's listening to this, who right now, this is exactly where they're at, what would you encourage them to do? First of all, as Christians, I let them know that you're not alone in this. So important that we know we're not alone in this. Uh, many of us have those shame points. In fact, some of my healing came from sitting in a group where all the other women are talking about things, and I just sat quiet the whole time. And then I heard one of the women, she would look like a librarian to me. She looked all put together. I think she was a school teacher. She looked perfect. She looked put together. She was a Christian. And then she started talking about some things that had happened to her in her past and her home, and she was saying it out loud. And I thought, wait a minute, she doesn't look crazy. <laughs> and that happened to her. Maybe I'm not crazy. Wow. There you go. I love it. Maybe I'm not crazy. So one of the things that I do is I do a lot of disclosure, which is frowned upon in counseling. They don't like you to tell about yourself because you don't want to hijack the other person's story. So you have to have some wisdom about when. Okay. But there are people who want to know they're not alone in it and that I get you. I yeah. hear you. Your story is your story. So this is what we do as counselors and therapists. We listen and we help you to put it into a different perspective. If we keep it to ourselves, our minds, we're recycling it through our own perspective and judgments. That's a good point. And a lot of shame. But we're here to listen and help you look at your story and you to gain perspective on your story. We don't whack people over the head with a Bible. <laughs> In fact, I have Christians that say, no, I don't want prayer and I don't want Bible. 
because they've been prayered and Bibled to death. Wow. Okay. And so I let them know we don't go there, but I know I embody Christ and Jesus. Come on. So let's just talk about the real stuff. I love it. And I have non Christians who come in. I was just going to say there's another side of the coin that I know the Lord uses you to give truth to people who would never read a Bible or go to church, and you get to minister divine, holy truth to them. Talk about that. Well, they want that. People want truth. When they're in trouble, they're tired of the relativism that's out there, Mm -hmm. and they're tired of all the worldly advice. When their marriage is in trouble, or they've lost a child, or they're going through a divorce, they want to know that someone is going to listen who's they know where you stand Mm. and believe it or not there are people who want that truth i've never had anyone walk out of my office when we have that first conversation and they understand that my degree is from bethel seminary and that i'm a christian is that going to be a problem in therapy because i can refer you to someone else if it is i have i've heard just an absolute no i'm good right here i'm comfortable with you I'm staying right here. So the exciting part is I've had people that never told me they were Christians that have said, I have, I went to church as a kid, and I'm going back to church now because of you. I realize that I can be okay to be in a church because they think the walls are going to fall down if they you go know, in. Yeah, they do. Yeah. Well, and you were sharing a story with me when we were together at uh, some friend's birthdays mm-hmm. uh, about a friend of yours that you had known a long time, and the Lord was able to use you in that relationship to actually uh, lead her to salvation. Mm. So how to talk about that. Okay. I didn't lead her to salvation, but I did embody Christ in, okay. the, in the relationship. When we were kids, we were 14 years old when we became friends. And we were living in the 60s and 70s, so very worldly lives. I remember, kind of. We were pretty naive, but we kind of grew up together through some of those years. And she had a church. It was a church that she went to that was more Eastern religion types of focus, the Church of Religious Science. Okay. And I went to the Methodist Church. So we different. <laughs> and we were churched, but we didn't talk about God or any of those things then. But over the years, she's moved away, and we've lived separately, and we have kept in touch every few years. We'd pick up where we left off, but she had a different path. She was going in and following Eastern religions and yoga and still lovely and loved her to death. We loved each other to death, and I, as a Christian, uh, had become a Christian since then and was walking a different life. So we had that disconnect with us a little bit. Yeah. But we were still good friends. But in the last couple of years, unknown to me, we hadn't talked a lot. She had fallen into a relationship in which she was led to the Lord. Uh, And knowing me, and when we reconnected, she says, I want to talk about this. We have this in common now. She lives in Canada in a pretty isolated area. And we can have hour and a half Zoom meetings and just... That's something. She asks questions. I get to answer them. She loves me unconditionally. I get to, I will never, I will always get that from Terry. So it's just been such a sweet connection that fills me up every time we get to talk. Let's get back to counseling for a second. I shared with you that I'm very interested in a, it's not a ministry, it's a project that some woman came up with when she was having a, a hard time dealing with her alcohol 
use and that she needed to drink to be funny and she needed drink to be selling and she was like in an international marketing company very successful but she just was at her end and she didn't find that the things that were out there that she knew about fit her and her personality and it just didn't look like a path forward for her like aa which has been so successful for so many people but other people think that's not what i'm thinking about doing she wrote a book called the naked mind and so I read it because I had heard, one of the main reasons is I had heard of so many millennials that I hang out with who really have drinking problems. They're drinking and they're Christians. And drinking is a part of every single party they get to and everything they do. So I talked to them, do you feel comfortable with that? Is that, are you okay with it? Or is everything cool? And they said, no. So we got together in a small group and we went through her book and talked about liminal thinking and cognitive dissidence. And it was really curious to me. And I want you to talk a little bit about that, especially as it might apply to people who, were we talking about Romans 7? Seven? Seven. Seven, yeah. Uh-huh. Where Paul says, I don't do what I want to do. Oh, I yeah. do what I don't want to do. Yeah. Man, wretched man that I am. Yeah. What do I do? And that's cognitive dissonance. Yes, it? absolutely. That was one of my favorite passages as I became a therapist because People come in and they say, I don't know why I do this. In fact, I thought I need to do a workshop called Why Do I Do What I Do? It really comes down to that we have, as Christians, we are transformed, but we're being transformed by the renewing of our mind. What we have, we still have those old neural pathways that inf- that are there, and we still have those coping mechanisms we've learned as children And we also know that we hear in the word, it says, when I was a child, I thought as a child, Mm. and there's a time to put away childish thinking. So as you were saying, these are people that grow up and cope and begin to learn. We all do this. We all have ways and thinking that in our brain, and we find comfort. We like the comfort we get from these things that we've coped with because we don't know another way to do it. So it's a process about that with the mind. It's getting that place of walking out and doing something different enough that we have that neural pathway built up in our brain. So I think of it this way, Kevin. When I lived in one house, a certain house, I would drive home from work and I would have to get on I-8 going east to go home. And I had done that for several years. And then we moved to another location where I had to get on I-8 going west. But when I'm in my car and I'm just after work and I'm tired and I'm not paying attention. (laughs) You ended up in El Cajon. I'm in El Cajon (laughs) when I know I need to head to La Mesa. And why do I do that? My husband and I, if we're driving down to the beach, doing down 52, I have to, as soon as we hit convoy, say, remember, we're not going to work. So, Sylvia does that for me, and I appreciate same, it. When I was same. younger, I'd go, hey, woman, don't be telling me where to go. Go on, knowing that I was wrong. But now I am very comfortable in her navigation assistance. <laughs> I actually say thank you right away to yeah. make sure that it happens again. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, nobody likes that. In fact, I ask permission. Can I navigate? We want to get there on time. Do you mind? <laughs> if we're having a conversation, we're going to be in Mexico. That has happened. So true. And so the dissonance is that place where we know we don't want to go there, but somehow we do it and somehow we end up there. And sometimes we want to go to to that coping mechanism so badly that we'll start making up excuses 
and trying to make it okay and mm-hmm. justify and minimize. Wow. And we do all of these strategies to try to make ourselves not feel guilty or not feel wrong or not feel bad, which only, in, as in the, the habit of substance abuse, it only creates a deeper shame, a deeper bad sense of self, a deeper need for the coping that I know how to go to. So it's a vicious cycle. It sure is. So are you a fan of Caroline Leaf? Uh-huh. Um, and mm-hmm. James Clear with Atomic Habits, have you read that one? No, I have not, I have you, to confess. <laughs> we just know so much about the brain now yeah. and creating new neural pathways. I try to... I, just understanding neural pathways is a huge leap forward for us as humans. Yeah, that it's for real. Yeah. And the renewing well, of your mind. It makes right. so much sense. We're Combining those two together, and really, <laughs> yeah. Science it catches up with the Bible eventually. Uh-oh. And yeah. then it's like, whoa, yeah. it's so good. I'm So for me, I was in the fitness industry for a long time. And to get people to start establishing good habits, I wonder how that works with people with other types of habits that they want to have or they don't want to have. So for me, I would say be resolved to start, flip the light switch and start, and set your goals really small at first so that you can feel success in them. So you don't have to work out six days a week. You don't have to work out three hours a day. Why don't we just do two times a week? And then if you hit a third, let's celebrate that. And that starts a pattern and a habit of something that they really do want to do. And once they start feeling good about it, then they can't remember why they didn't do it before. Does it work that with other behaviors as well? It does a little bit. And so we look and sometimes the goals are too big and we say, what got in the way? And then we start looking at what got in the way because that's the, we have to look at the obstacles. We have to back up sometimes and start smaller. And uh, one of the things is it does take practice. Like you said, with the gym, it's a little more concrete. We know that we went to the gym or we didn't go to the gym. Yeah. With our thoughts, it's a little less concrete. We aren't always aware that we've drifted into that place. And especially if we're tired, if we're stressed, if we're hungry, any of these things, then we begin to get into a little bit of a survival mode and the frontal lobe, this part of our smart brain, isn't getting all of the things that it needs to stay alert and pay attention and being able to be reflective and slowing things down to look at, let's look at what happened. And we look at the steps that got us into the direction away. What are the things that are getting in the way? What are the things that are leading us in the wrong direction and breaking that down? That's uh, taking your thoughts captive. It really Whoa, is. Oh, <laughs> I hadn't thought about it that way, but it, it is. Sure. Yeah. So the Word of God really talks about this. It, mm-hmm. it says, take your thoughts captive. So we have to know we have them. That's the reflective, mm. that's being reflective. But the second part is we have to go to Philippians 4.8. Philippians 4.8 tells us how to think. Basically, we look at what are the things we want to think about? What are the truths we can put our mind on? But it's not a one and done because Philippians 4.9 says, practice these things <laughs> and the peace of God will be with you. Yeah. Or practice makes perfect. So you can't just say, oh, I know what to do now. I got a big aha. I'm never going to do that again. (laughs) That would be great. It really takes practicing. And so I actually lead people through a cycle where we're looking at the pain process. We're looking at our pain cycle, identifying what is that self-talk and what are those things that we tell ourselves, that we told ourselves as a child and we've continued to practice them so much that we've got this neural pathway there. 
But the second part is, what are we doing with that pain? What's the coping that we've practiced? What are the things that used to work for us? And you talked about the making people laugh. I drink and it makes people laugh and then I feel better. I'm getting a dopamine hit. Right. So maybe it's that I realize that I withdraw or I control. It doesn't have to be something I perform. Sometimes it looks great. I overly perform. But whatever it's doing, it's not keeping us connected to the truth about who we are. So then we look at the truth of who we are. And that takes practice. It is so good. And when we do these things, especially when we're walking by faith, the Lord just breathes on our efforts. Yes. So many times that I've fallen short, there's no condemnation. Mm -hmm. That's in the Bible. He uh, allows us to see that. And and when you're sharing your faith, uh, so many times people have told me, I was just teaching a bunch of junior hires as my favorite. And I said, are any of you at all nervous or have some kind of fear about sharing your faith, sharing the gospels, sharing the love of Christ with somebody else. So they all raise their hand, right? And we do it at any age. What are those fears? And so taking a look at those fears and dismantling them. Mm-hmm. Okay, so are they going to stab you? Probably not. Is it going to be terrible because you missed an answer? You didn't know what to say? Those kind of things. As we take those fears that we've learned through experience, I think, mm-hmm. just to not go there, but also that the enemy feeds, right? Because we've got an enemy and he's whispering right. these things like, yeah, you deserve mm-hmm. this. And yeah, they are a terrible person. Yes. And so how do you disconnect that voice? I like the law of displacement. Yep, I do too. We can do all day long telling people, don't be afraid, don't do this, don't do that. And we all know if I said, don't think about Turkey. There you go, you're done. You're about Turkey right yeah. now. And so we go to, let's look at truth. So what we're doing is we're practicing looking at truth. And now biblical truth is great, but sometimes we need to look at the concrete truth. If you're an overperformer, the fact is you're capable. You can manage your capabilities. You have capabilities and you know how to manage them. Let's look at where we're going to manage them. You have to do something different and put it into action. It might be that you speak up. It might be that you let it go. It might be that you choose to change a friend, Mm. change a toxic relationship, replace it, start looking at the things you can put into your life and begin to do something different until, I call it the frontage road. When you build a freeway, there was that frontage road you used to be on until let the frontage road, the weeds grow on it eventually and it's not the best road, and you begin to understand the freeway is the healthier road and safer road to be on and gets you there more efficiently. So we begin to build those new neural pathways with displacing the old thinking. So it's the looking at, I call it with preschoolers, I called it, it's positive redirection. You don't say don't color on the table. You say, hey, can you color on the paper? Here's where you can color and have peace and enjoy it and do it as long as you want color on the table is going to create a problem. We don't have to even talk about that. We just redirect because that's the way our brains work. Yeah, it makes perfect sense. And I know that's another place that the enemy jumps in because somebody really does see an opportunity. They want to step in it and they want to share Jesus and they don't. So what happens? The enemy says, yeah, see, you messed up again. Mm -hmm. You're not worthy. You're not a good Christian. You're a hypocrite, whatever. So he keeps those negative thoughts in there and that's a lot of what needs to be displaced. It's that shame cycle. If we feel shame, then we're focused on ourselves and trying to find a way 
to feel better. And so when we get into that place of we just really trust that we have those strengths that we've seen play out in our life. So we do a lot of looking at where is your strengths? Where, where We look and start pulling those out and saying, let's operate in these. We know you can do these. And we start looking at how we can utilize those to gain a better perspective. And that begins to reshape the mind and begins to say, I can, I'm capable. Sure, I have shortcomings. I'm not good at these things, but I have strengths. And we begin to have less of the shame and more of those feelings of victory and hope and future. and So good. Phyllis, I know you're going to get a bunch of phone calls and stuff, so we need to get your contact information that, that, so people can get connected with you because so many people are resonating with what we're talking about right now for sure. So I don't want to wrap it up yet because there's something that you're really excited about that you just got involved in regarding marriage. Mm-hmm. And then when you were telling me about it, I said, okay, a lot of people need to know about that. Mm-hmm. So before we get to how to connect with you, what did you do, you and Frank, that got you so excited that you're involved in now? Okay. And I love to talk about this because people think if you're a marriage and family therapist, you don't need marriage and just family perfect. therapy, you right? got it all figured out. We got it figured out. But can I just tell you, my husband and I said, look, we've been married 21 years And I said, okay, I'm going to be 69. (laughs) Yay, I'm headed that way. If I make it to 90, I have 21 more years. (laughs) Okay, I'll take that. Let's make it really great. He found a book that we started going through together called The Five Days to a New Marriage. And this book takes you through the process I just talked about. We call it restoration Mm. therapy. And we went to a really great retreat, couples retreat, couples intensive in Texas called the uh, Hideaway Experience based on this material. And we came back, it changed us. It changed us completely in our marriage. They were things we knew. They're things we knew how to do. They're things most people know at some point, but there was a way of walking it through together that got us so excited. We both came back and continued the process. I took training as a restoration therapist, my husband's training as a restoration coach, and we are taking some other couples through the book, and I've incorporated it into my counseling. It's just such a practical tool that does all the things we just talked about, but puts it together in such a way that clients are having transformation in my office, yet we know the practice still has to happen. Is there something um, besides counseling and everything that the Lord is really uh, speaking to you about right now, these days? I'm always thinking about family and grandchildren, and I'm always thinking about who's around me that I can have. I get to have influence in my office in counseling. I get to have influence in my family to some degree. But I think listening to you and listening to some of the testimonies, I've gotten more and more, my husband and I have both felt it on our heart that how can we be more present in our neighborhood? How can we be more present in our community? What are some ways that we can bring who we are into our community? In fact, we laugh because we just traveled a couple times and we've come back to our hotel room and we stopped and sat in, in the lobby for a minute and gotten connected to people that next thing we know we're praying for someone we're in a conversation we so said that we came home from texas going i think we've got a hotel ministry going up. we oh, need to travel more <laughs> mm, 
Okay. <laughs> We've got hotel lobby evangelism going on here. I love it. <laughs> so I've got my system with my counseling and my family, but I really see that I have people right in, next door to me that I never talk to. Would you do me a favor? I, I would just love for you to pray for the people that are listening right now and just speaking what the Lord gives you, but I just sense freedom is a big, big part of it. Would you pray for us? Gosh, Lord, what a privilege it is to be here. And Father, you know my heart and you know the heart of this ministry of Sent 315. We love to love people. We want to share our faith. We want the listeners to know that there's hope, that there's healing, that there's an avenue of freedom in Christ. And Lord, I know that there's someone listening that has been stirred that they may need to look for that direction for freedom. And I pray, God, that you would lead them into a perspective of there's no shame in mental health challenges. There's no shame when relationships get hard, that there is a hope, there is a future, there is something more for them, that, Lord, that you would lead them to that place, God, that you would lead them to make a phone call, to ask for help, to seek out a church, to seek out a friend, to not sit alone in those places where the enemy wants to give the lies, that they would seek truth through those around them that can help them, can take their hand and lead them closer to you. So Lord, we just say no one should walk alone and that we love you. We know that you are for us, that you say that you have chosen each one of us and you have made us holy and blameless. But as you told me, not necessarily flawless. Lord, we all have flaws, but God, you are the one who leads us to that place of wholeness. So we seek you and love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, we thank you for all that you do. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen. Okay, now, how do people get in touch with you? Okay, if they're interested in counseling with New Day Counseling Center, we do have a team of therapists. They're Christian therapists, but again, we we have non-Christians who come to us. We're expressly Christian therapists, meaning we embody Christ, but we're just here to walk you through your journey. And the number is 619-713-1544. And you can also go to newdaycounselingcenter.org and visit our website to contact me directly. It's This is my direct number, and it's best to text is 619-920-1240. And we'll put it in the show notes. But I wanted to ask one thing too. Do you do like remote Zoom counseling? We do. All of us do. We do. COVID did that. COVID did that. COVID did that. Among other things. Yep. But we have people that are listening in a lot of different places. Yep. I really encourage them. All over California, we are licensed and some of us even beyond. Okay. Very good. Thanks so much for being here. I knew it was going to be this good. Yep. (laughs) You're so sweet. Bye bye. Thank you, Kim. 